0: Welcome back to the Anxiety Slayer podcast. I'm Shan VanderLeek, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Adam Bendeli. Adam is a leadership advisor with over 20 years of corporate consulting experience and a personal mental health journey that he ties into all of his work. He's a leading expert on human behavior and relationships, and his latest book, Relational Intelligence, is available now wherever books are sold. Welcome to Anxiety Slayer, Adam. How are you? I'm so good. It's good to be with you today.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I realized that we haven't had a lot of conversations with experts like you, with people who can help us navigate what it's like to wrestle with a mental health journey while we work, to deal with bouts of anxiety or depression or what have you in the workplace. Everything we've done has been so personal and lifestyle related. And yet here we are, we all have to make a living and uh, and workplaces can be super stressful. So that's kind of where I'd like to start is to have you kind of guide us through your mental health journey and how that ties to relational intelligence. And then maybe from there, we can dig into how that relational intelligence can help our listeners who are working in stressful jobs.
1: Yeah, no, that'll be great. I'd love to start. So I'll share a little bit about my background first and how that's connected to my mental health journey. So I grew up in the 80s. I'm um, an athlete first. I played basketball. So I idolized uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan growing up. Sports was everything for the first you know, 10, 15, 20 years of my life. When I went to undergrad and started college, I realized like most of the kids, I wasn't going to be like Mike when I grew up yeah. and so I wanted to find something where I could have an impact with people. And I found the field of business psychology where I was able to really take a lot of the skills around teamwork and leadership and goal setting and motivation, the things that I learned being built by sport and being able to transfer that over to helping people in their businesses or as employees of companies ended up going to get my PhD. And in my second year of my graduate program, uh, for the first time in my life, I started feeling symptoms of depression. And for someone in his early 20s at the time who felt the world revolved around him, depression was for weak people. You know, mm. you just busted it off your shoulders and it's not real. And then for two, three weeks, I couldn't get out of bed didn't want to take care of myself, go to the gym, eat a good diet, all the things that were natural and things that I enjoyed, the joy of all that just went away. And with most bouts of depression, you know the severity and the length of it can vary. For me, it probably lasted about a good nine or ten weeks. I had some family members who have dealt with anxiety or depression in their lives, and so they recommended that I go see a you know counselor on campus. I'd never been to a therapist before, so I didn't know what to expect. Went to like one or two sessions and we got to like the summer break. I went back home and visited my friends and family and the depression like naturally lifted. In my mind, as a type A person, I felt like I had lost two or three months because I was sluggish or I was falling behind. When the semester started again in the fall, I came back and kind of pushed myself really hard. You know, working 17 hours a day, gym two, three hours a day, sleeping like two and a half hours a day. And my friends started noticing my behavior started becoming very manic and all the signs and symptoms of someone who's in a manic episode, but I thought it was fine. I thought I was fine. You know, you couldn't tell me anything different. I thought everything was okay. Ended up taking an internship about five or six months later at another part of the country. And within six weeks, I was suicidal. And oh so goodness. for me, it was such a scary, like, again, to you know, have those type of thoughts or to be in that state of mind. At the time, my father was visiting me, and he saw how I looked and you know, took me to my first psychiatrist. And within two minutes of sharing my symptoms of what was going on, um uh, the psychiatrist had no bedside manner and just said, "You have bipolar disorder. Take these three meds and come back in three weeks." And for me, telling a 22 year old that's getting his PhD in psychology that he has a psychological disorder that didn't mesh with my ego. Right. I outright rejected the diagnosis. And for the next seven or eight years, I lived a life not being medicated, not in therapy, which led to a substance abuse addiction. And I almost overdosed and lost my life. And it wasn't for me until rehab that I understood the importance of living a holistic life and having balance in all areas and coming to terms with my own mental health journey that was about a decade ago and so it's been a journey just to kind of figure out what mental health means for me because i think it means something different to every individual person my recovery journey has been about you know taking time for friends and family taking time for myself making sure that i'm taking care of my health and fitness while i'm having a professional career and an entrepreneur and building a business so that was my personal journey, while over the last 20 years, my professional journey has been you know, becoming a leadership advisor and management consultant. The idea of relational intelligence, the, the content in this book, this happened around the same time in graduate school as I was first going through my depression. So I was coming up with the theory and the ideas. And so this whole skill set really was grounded for me in my own personal experience. Then you know, my team and the folks that I work with, we started seeing it impact other people mental health, non-mental health, personal professional lives, Uh, we look at this as a playbook of skills that can help people build transformational relationships across all areas of their life.
0: Thank you for sharing a bit of your personal story, and congratulations on, on doing the work and taking care of yourself and showing up for yourself so that you can be in this position to share relational intelligence and continue all the great work that you're doing. How can relational intelligence help our listeners who feel like they're in a super stressful workplace and they're not really sure what to do about it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing about relational intelligence, and we define it as the ability to successfully connect with people and build strong, long-lasting relationships, I believe relationships are everything in life. And so in the workplace, you have to be able to develop trust with people. You have to be able to build good rapport with colleagues. Stress hits people in different ways. And so if you're intentional and authentic in how you build relationships with your coworkers, the ups and downs of life or the stressors that come with business can be a little lighter burden to carry if you have that sense of community and if you have that sense of connection and contribution that you get when you build strong relationships with people.
0: And yet, here we are in a workplace working maybe 40 50 60 hours a week and managing generalized anxiety or a number of other issues um, medication and yeah. counseling and cetera you know all the things that that come with these diagnosis and and come with being human
1: yeah
0: and yeah. and so when when i think about Relating to others in the workplace, I I worked in a corporate environment for 20 years before going out on my own and doing my own thing. And and as I was moving through your work through relational intelligence, I could see where the success came from. And I could also see where some of the pitfalls were if I was having a particular stressful day back when I was in that environment, it wasn't acceptable to really talk to anybody else that you worked with <laughs> <Yeah. It's> still, <laughs> about whatever might have been going still, on?
1: There's still a huge stigma around that. I talked to a lot of my clients today, like after COVID and after, you know, some of the events around social justice and George Floyd, and a lot of the things that have happened in our country the last several years, people have more empathy around it. But mm-hmm. I think still in business, it's probably the largest area where there's still a stigma that, you know, employees are Afraid to share it because how it's going to be viewed by their managers or how it's going to be viewed by other leaders in the company. There's things called employee assistance programs, EAPs, and other things that are built to help with it, but they're very rarely, rarely used. I think it's uh, the statistics are like 15% of these types of programs are used because of the fear of the stigma that's still associated with mental health.
0: Yeah, and that's what we hear is that I want to keep my job. I don't I don't want to put myself on the radar for anything other than the work that I do. I'm afraid that if if I do bring any of this forward that I'll be let go or I'll be looked at poorly or what have you and so yeah. it's kind of a catch 22 for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: You say that in in today's world we have more ways to communicate but we're connecting less than ever before. Yeah. How is this lack of connection affecting how we work and live our lives?
1: Yeah, I mean, so we all have iPhones or tablets or smartphones on us all the time. And so we'll spend more time on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or, you know, we'll be connecting with people through our devices. But the art of sitting in a room with someone and looking someone in the eyes and having a conversation, many folks, especially the younger generations, have missed out on that. We, we deal with a lot of clients now who are seeing the generational differences between baby boomers and Gen X versus millennial and Gen Z. A lot of the younger generations, they don't know how to have communication or build relationships at work. They, they can send you 10 text messages, but they can't <laughs> sit down and have a conversation. And so I think it affects the way we work. And then you know layering over that, what happened with COVID for two years where people were socially isolated, some people became accustomed to that and picked up bad habits and things that, you know, just make them socially awkward in interpersonal settings. And for others, you know, it it was really, some of it led to mental health or depression because you just weren't around people. And so it affected people in many different ways. So I think technology can be a good or bad thing. It depends on how you use it. But I think, you know, many people do use it more for that connection piece over their devices, missing out on that opportunity when they're in the room with people.
0: Right, and then you just kind of look at where where is work going, and the younger generation. I have a a twenty two year old that uh, I love very much who has had a completely different life experience than I have when it comes to relationship, and was going off to school for the first time when COVID mm-hmm. happened, yeah, and all of a sudden was in Zoom classes instead of classrooms. And in, in this place now where, okay, I'm ready to, to look for a job, but I have no idea what that's going to be like because so much of my life has been online.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And I think, you know, we, we go to school and we learn about finance or we learn about marketing or the classes that we take. Kids in colleges are not taught how to build relationships or skills like rapport building. Or how to be authentic, or how to use your emotional intelligence—like these are things that are life skills that you need in a romantic relationship, with relationships with your family, with friends, with colleagues and coworkers professionally. There are there are skills that people kind of have to just pick up from observation or from experiences they go through. So, in writing this book, I really wanted to, you know, give people a playbook of the things you could do, the behaviors and skills you could practice, so that you could be able to do that.
0: Mm. I'd love for you to share how you define emotional intelligence and then how that intelligence can help when we're struggling to communicate while in the throes of a mental health crisis.
1: Yeah. So emotional intelligence, we define that as the ability to understand your emotions, the emotions of others, and how to manage emotions effectively. And so, you know, if you're in a mental health crisis, you know, the levels of anxiety or you know fear or depression like they can skyrocket and so if you don't have a good understanding of how your emotions are impacting you are you feeling sadness are you feeling dread are you feeling excitement if you don't have the self-awareness to reflect on those things it could impact and limit your ability to get help when you need to other mental health disorders like borderline personality or other things that can surface if you can't read other people's emotions and understand where you might be upsetting someone or frustrating someone or getting someone angry, can lead to conflict in your relationships. You know, a lot of times people with mental health disorders who don't get the help they need sever relationships because they don't know how to read other people. They don't know how to read a room. They don't know how to manage their emotions effectively. And so that can really damage relationships as well.
0: And would you say then that the five skills that you roll out in relational intelligence can help people here, like help them figure out how to better communicate and show up while also uh, dealing with anxiety and depression or whatever else might be going on in their lives?
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. so the the skills in our framework, really are built to not just help people with mental health disorders but help those that would be caretakers or people who you know loved ones or people who are in relationships with them and so i can give you a couple examples you know one of the skills is called establishing rapport and we define this as the ability to use energy to create positive connections with others and so from a mental health standpoint if you're going to see a psychiatrist or a therapist how they make you feel in that first time you get together with them. Like, do they have good bedside manner? Do they show empathy? Are they viewing you as a person and just not another patient that day? Like, these are things that as a mental health person, like you can take into account and like, see if they're really going to care for you and support you the way they need to. And it's the same way with family members too. There's Mm -hmm. a big role that caretakers need to play in terms of being active listeners, uh, being able to be curious and ask questions, being able to show empathy and try to put themselves in other people's shoes. I look at my own life and there were periods where, you know, highs were severed with many of my family members because, you know, they A, thought that mental health was not real or mm-hmm. that B, that things that I may have done when I was in a state of mania or depression were parts of my identity and not behaviors that I had to learn how to manage.
0: Oh, that is huge. That statement is huge.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a hard thing. I talk to a lot of the folks that we coach around mental health. Your disorder is not your identity. It's part of your life, but it doesn't make up who you are. You're made up of your values and your beliefs and your strengths and the things that you enjoy doing, your hobbies and interests. So identity is such a big thing. But I think a lot of folks, especially when you're first diagnosed, you can you know, get consumed by, oh my God, this is a life-changing thing. I'm going to be depressed all my life. I'm going to have anxiety all my life. I'm going to have bipolar all my life. It's a part of your life you have to learn how to manage. So there's a sense of ownership and responsibility you have to take, but it's not who you are.
0: Right. And even when I hear the word disorder, I feel a little uncomfortable with that word because So many people, so many of our listeners, uh, so many of the conversations I've had with people like you, these people are incredible. They have superpowers. They're incredibly bright and creative and sensitive and so many things. And yet often just kind of labeled with whatever that diagnosis is.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And help me understand then how how you manage that after your diagnosis from somebody who wasn't very kind and supportive to going into rehab and working through your stuff, realizing that this isn't who I am. It's a part of what I have to navigate in this lifetime.
1: Yeah. So it's it's been a 10 years journey since rehab. So I can't say that I've mastered it at this point, but I think for me, it really, and I talk about this in the book a lot the word authenticity, like what does that mean to every person? For me, part of my mental health journey was figuring out how my mental health tied into my professional life and tied into what I do personally and my relationships, all those things. And so for me, it was first getting clear on that and then being able to model that authenticity for others, uh, whether they were family members, friends, colleagues, and coworkers. And so I'm very open about my mental health journey. I think, you know, I went through what I went through so I could help other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I talk to folks and we work with folks, like there's there's the work you have to do on yourself before you can try to educate family members or other people about mental health if they don't know about it or they're ignorant to it. You have to kind of figure out what that means for you. And then from there, you can kind of share that with others. Um, and there's going to be some people in your families or close friends that aren't going to get it. Um, and that's okay. You know the, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. And I think yeah. very basic things you can do like journaling, having a mood journal, um, keeping up with your therapy appointments or with your psychiatrist. There's so many different things that kind of fall into the bucket of good self-care. Yeah. But the thing that I think is challenging for a lot of people with mental health is there is a sense of ownership that you have to take for it. We hear about all these things in the news with famous musicians and artists and actresses. And actors because it's the situations and cases where they're not medicated, they're not getting the help they need, and you see some of the extreme behaviors. And unfortunately, the behaviors we see become the labels that people use for people who have depression or for people right. who have bipolar. And that, that, that can be very challenging for folks as well.
0: Yeah, there's so many who are running from the diagnosis. And then there's many who want you to just suck it up. Yeah. So if you're in a family full of people mm-hmm. who, uh, you, you were talking earlier about being type A and being an athlete, and uh, I can completely relate with that. I, I think about how helpful being part of sports when I was young yeah. uh, helped me form who I am and move through the world in business very yeah. very much so. But but also there there are folks who are not in that space. So they don't, they don't have that framework. They have the framework of, I didn't go that route. Mm-hmm. I, I did this uh, very uh, introverted route. Yeah. Then comes the online life. Mm-hmm. Then comes the pandemic. Yeah. And so many of these folks are feeling alone with yeah. the diagnosis and feeling like, well, where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. I'm not, type a extrovert i want to make a contribution but i'm but i'm suffering here
1: yeah it's hard it's, it's definitely hard and i think it all goes back to like really being comfortable in your own skin whether you're an extrovert or introvert are, we found in our research that introverts actually have higher levels of relational intelligence because they're typically more empathetic they typically are better active listeners most extroverts like to talk more than they listen Um, You know, introverts have a really good way of asking curious questions and wanting to learn about someone more deeply than extroverts do. So, again, it goes back to this idea, like, do you know yourself? Do you know Mm. how you're wired? Do you know what makes you tick? And for many people, they never do that self-work. You know, it's more about just kind of going through the motions of life. And so I, I encourage everyone to do that, whether that's, like I said, a journal with a therapist, with a life coach. That, that's usually one of the first keys to unlocking whatever you want to do with your mental health or your emotional well-being or how you build relationships with people.
0: That emotional intelligence, once you're in a good place with who you are authentically and, and working that out, and, and it's practice. It's not uh, <laughs> it's something that just, okay, overnight, everything's going to be all right. But the, but the practice yes. gets yes. you to the place where, okay. I know how to care for myself. I know how to look after myself. Now I can be in this space of harnessing and nourishing my relational intelligence. That's right. Well, as we finish up today, would you like to dig into the five essential skills, or where would you like to take us within the content of your yeah, Wonderful book. But I'd
1: love to share a little bit about the skills and kind of how they connect to each other. So these are skills. They're not personality traits or dispositions. So these are things that you can learn, you okay. can define, and you can improve. The way that you build trust may be different from me, but everyone needs to understand that trust is important in relationships. So the skills kind of build on the progression of going into relationships. So the first skill is establishing rapport. Uh, and as I mentioned, that's the ability to use energy to create an initial positive connection with others. So things like body language, eye contact, being a good active listener, making a good first impression, a lot of the things that you would do to, you know, on a first date or something to make a connection with someone or a job interview really set the stage for a relationship to grow if that building rapport happens in the right way. Once you do that, we move into the second skill, which is understanding others. And this is really the ability to be intentional about putting in the time and effort needed to get to know someone else. So this requires emotional intelligence. You know, if you don't understand your emotions or the emotions of others, you're not going to be able to really get to know someone on a deeper level. It requires active listening. It requires asking probing questions and wanting to know about a person's journey um, from a work standpoint, not just what they do in their job today. It requires empathy and being able to put yourself in other people's shoes. So this skill of understanding others, this is an ever-evolving process. You don't just do it once. You're constantly learning about a person, whether it's a spouse or a loved one, whether it's a coworker. Once you do that, you go to the third skill, which is embracing individual differences. And this is the ability to be authentic and acknowledging and accepting that everyone comes from different backgrounds and experiences. And so as we talked about already, you really have to do the work on you first to understand what authenticity means for you. You can model it for other people. I think some of the great leaders that we work with are comfortable in their own skin, and it gives their people the psychological safety to be themselves at work as well. The most important skill in our framework is developing trust. Mm. uh, And this is the ability to be vulnerable and risk being exposed to the actions and behaviors of others. Uh, And vulnerability is a tough thing for a lot of people. I see it more with some of the men that we coach and work with and women things like pride or ego, you know, you don't want to show a sign of weakness. And and so again, I think if you're really going to unlock and get to a deep place in any relationship, there has to be a healthy degree of vulnerability. And then the most important skill, the last skill is cultivating influence. And this is about wanting to have a positive and meaningful impact on other people's lives. So Mm. in the work context, we look at it as being a good mentor or being a good coach or providing good feedback to people. On the personal side, it's about wanting the best for your partner. It's about trying to help bring out the best in them. It's wanting the best for your kids or for your relatives or other family members. It's wanting your friends to thrive and whatever they do. So it's really about trying to help people become better versions of themselves.
0: Yeah. I love that so much. That's what I want every day for for myself, for my husband, for my family, for the, the people that I work with is just every day by degree to be yeah. in that much of a better place, whatever that looks like for you.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I've found that as I was listening to you to sh- listening to you share those five critical skills, I was thinking about the potency of transparency Yeah, yeah. and vulnerability and how we have been able to make a much bigger impact doing the work we do with Anxiety Slayer by being honest about our lives and you know not to the point where that's all you ever hear about but to say hey you know, we didn't just roll out of bed one day and decide we were going to be anxiety slayer i mean there was some stuff going on yeah, 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 <laughs> and perfect. this was you know what, well before the pandemic and and yet to be in that place of i am i'm human i am a reflection of you i may not look like you i may not have the same experiences that you have but chances are we have more in common Then we don't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the places that you think you would learn the least from someone else is where you learn some of the biggest lessons in life. uh, I'll tell the story when we do a lot of our trainings, you know, I learned more about empathy from a transgender woman in rehab than I did in all the classes I took getting my PhD.
0: Mm, Tell me more.
1: Yeah. Just in terms of like how to treat people and, and, you know you can learn an idea or a theory but interacting with human beings and being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes like you can't you can't put a price on it um and so i look in my own life some of the some of the biggest lessons i learned were not from you know a famous person's book that i read or you know a degree that i got it was from simple everyday people that have a degree of humility and how they live their lives to your point they have a degree of transparency And the world we live in today It's much needed to have that. I don't think a lot of people do. But when you do find it, i choke with some of my colleagues, you know, it's like finding a unicorn and you find Mm -hmm. that person or you find that person who can really be themselves around you and you can do the same with them. It really transforms relationships.
0: It does. And so many people who do have the courage to show up and be who they are Mm. will still second guess themselves after an experience Mm -hmm. or an exchange. Yeah. Was I too much? Did I share too much? What will they think? You know, all all of the the things that start to loop around in your head instead of just being like, you know what? Let it go, man. Right. Show yeah. up. Be who you are. Be kind. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. Allow yourself to enjoy yourself. I and- think that
1: could be a thing with age, though, too. Like, if I think of myself in my twenties versus my forties, like I'm much more now, I just don't give a shit what people think. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like more some of that too, but yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think with age comes wisdom. Yeah. And so I think a lot of things that, you know, you worry about at 25, you worry about in a different way at 35, at 45, at 55. Yeah. But I found this in my, the older I've gotten, it's like, I'm going to take me how I am. I'm not going to try to change things because I want to impress someone. Like, this is who I am. This is who I am authentically. This is, you know. Right.
0: Which is so beautiful because. And in, in my opinion, one of the best compliments I ever receive is when people say, you are so real, yeah, like you're just yeah. showing up where you're at. And like, I don't really know how to do it any other way anymore. Yeah. Any other way doesn't uh, honor me. Yeah. And it doesn't honor you if I'm pretending to be <laughs> someone other than who I really am. What a great conversation. Our time flew by so quickly today, Adam. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our Anxiety Slayer listeners today before we part ways?
1: Yeah. So I think the, the big thing that I would encourage folks if they're interested in getting the book, um, they can go to our website, bandelliandassociates.com. It's bandelliandassociates.com. We have a number of free resources, articles and blogs and podcasts that we've done about all different types of ways to apply relational intelligence, because this is a skill set that impacts our personal lives and our professional lives. So we have resources on there for dating and romantic relationships. We have resources for mentoring people at work. We have resources for rebuilding relationships with family members, dealing with mental health. So if your listeners are interested in getting more resources, they're all free on our website.
0: And will you share the website again?
1: Bandelli, my last name, and associates, all one word.com. dot com.
0: Fantastic. Thanks so much, Adam. I really appreciate the work you're doing in the world, and I wish you all the best.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for the time today.